Wisconsin's Afternoon News is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right. Hope your Tuesday's going great. Sandy Max is here. Greg Matzik's here. Debbie Lazaga is here. Adam Roberts is here. We are here and ready to go. This is the three. At three on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, Sandy Max, what's first? It was a difficult day for the markets. Stocks tumbled over concerns related to recent bank failures. ABC News correspondent Alexis Christophorus on what has investors so worried today. It's not so much the debt ceiling that has investors rattled. They have more immediate issues. And frankly, they just don't believe that the banking crisis is over. Yeah, this is scary stuff. There are also investors worried about what the Fed is going to do. A decision is looming. Going to raise interest rates again very, very, very likely, although this bank thing puts a wrinkle into that. Here are the numbers. The S&P 500 recovered a little bit, actually, and it was still down 1% or 49 points. The Dow is off 1% or 367 down. NASDAQ dropped 132 points, also a little over 1% on the day. What's next? A Milwaukee bowling staple is getting a major touch-up. Falcon Bowl in River West. The iconic Falcon Bowl is indeed getting a little bit of a renovation. They began in April, will be done by mid-June. So here's the deal. The sixth alley lane, the sixth lane alley, excuse me, has a classic 1950s motif. Pink and white bank seating, mod-shaped scoring tables, vintage diamond motif. Now they're going to carry that through into the bar area. That pink, white, and green color scheme goes from downstairs to upstairs. They provided renderings, which Greg Matzik loves a rendering. Love them. And uh, Mike Spaulding in our news team, uh, he said, you know, now this is going to make it like a place you don't kind of have to apologize before you go in. Like, just prepare yourself that this is one of those kind of like now it's going to look a little more welcoming, yet still have its I've charm. I've never been in this place. Well, I think but we're going to have to go. Exactly. And one of the other things I love about Falcon Bowl and this evolution is it really is the community that stepped up to invest and save this establishment, not just some investor from out of town. Yeah, they're also going to have a big uh, new beer garden, so that's going to be pretty See, cool See, there's stuff. a reason to go right there, John. Yep. All right, what is the third thing? The third thing is about birds. Yesterday, we told you to cast your ballots in the We Energy's Falcon Chick Naming Contest. Well, today, you got something to look for here in Wisconsin. So, amateur birders, Doug and Jessica Crofton of St. Francis, were out for a drive on Saturday afternoon, and they like to look at birds there down at Warnemont Park. And they noticed a bird that they thought at first glance was some sort of bird that we see often here, a warbler. But they took a lot of pictures. They came home and they thought, that's not really what that is. And they discovered, after using an app on their phone, that it was a flame-colored tanager, one-ounce yellow bird. It was the first sighting of this bird in Wisconsin. According to records for the Wisconsin Society of Ornithology, it's native to Mexico and Central America. Now, here's what I don't understand, okay? So this bird is spotted here. It's the first time it's ever been in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. The only other states it's ever been spotted in, ever, are Texas and Arizona. So that means that there's not very good bird watchers between Texas and Wisconsin. There's no way the bird could fly the whole way at, like, 30,000 feet. So what happened, like, in Nebraska, in Missouri, in <laughs> Illinois, where the bird wasn't spotted, but... Just not as keen birders as we have here. Yeah. Now, this is the second time this year we've gotten a really rare bird. Remember, Uh it was back in January where everybody was going to South Shore Park because there was that mandarin duck. Yeah, that's right. That was a cool-looking duck. Yeah. 
So bring on the colorful birds. So people are clustering to this park along Lake Michigan to try to see the bird. There's, there's then Sunday, this spread on social media, and like 20 people, boom, showed up there with their binoculars <laughs> and their little bird books. And so Sheridan Park, right? In Cudahy? Uh, yep. It, it's a couple places it was spotted, but okay. Sheridan Park was one of them. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> check it out. It is 314 at WTMJ. 20% budget cut for MPS. That sounds really atrocious, right? There's kind of a silver lining here. We'll tell you what it means for kids in the classroom, their teachers and their parents, up next on WTMJ. So the headline of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel says, MPS projects enrollment drop in 20% budget fall, but budget plan maintains teaching staff. Alan Borsick is a senior fellow at Marquette University Law School. He is the most respected education writer in our city, and he is with us this afternoon. Alan, good to catch up. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. So this seems to be a contradiction because the article points out that there will be about a 20% cut in this year's budget, but that it's not really all bad news. Kind of help us sort through this. What's going on here? Well, I wouldn't say don't pay attention to that 20% cut, but don't pay attention to it. Um, <laughs> it's really, that that is the federal uh, COVID relief money that came in in the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars for MPS, and they've used most of it up or still have some in reserve, but, but that money is ending. So that's where the drop really lies. If you subtract, and, and that was used mostly for physical improvements, windows, air conditioning, even some athletic facilities, and, and who knows what. Lots of stuff that doesn't involve long-term commitments because everyone knew the money was going to run out. So if you look at the rest of the budget, it's a pretty stable picture, except that decline in enrollment is a continuing long-term uh, problem, I'd almost say threat, to MPS's stability. I want to ask you about enrollment in a second, but first I want to make sure that we don't miss that. So often there are these sort of stories, Alan, where there's temporary funding and then cities or organizations or school districts don't adjust. It appears here, at least on the surface, that MPS used that money but took things into account and maneuvered in a way that they will be able to maintain individual school budgets and staffing. They're actually adding teachers. Is that right? Uh, a slight, it, it, it's it's kind of magic that uh, there's a slight increase in staffing for next year, including a slight increase in the number of teachers that are listed in the budget. Um, there are also a lot of vacancies, so that's another story. And at the same time, uh, enrollment is, gonna, is listed to go down um, in the main body of MPS schools. What you think of when you think of an MPS school, enrollment is supposed to go down, is projected to go down, Another uh, 1,500 students, it goes down 1,000 to 2,000 students every year for, oh, roughly the last 20 years, um, partly because of declining number of kids in the city and in large part because of people, parents, choosing to send their kids to non-MPS schools. It's as simple as that. And I was also wondering if homeschooling is part of that after the pandemic and more of that virtual experience. I think homeschooling is a very small part of it. Um, virtual schooling, which it would mean being part of a program but doing it from home, um, has increased some, but uh, uh, it still remains kind of a small part of it. I mean, you've got a quarter of all the kids in the city who are getting publicly funded education who are using school vouchers, which means they're going to private, mostly religious schools, 
most of them in the city, although they don't have to be. So that's a quarter of all the kids, and that program goes up notch by notch every year. The charter schools go up some. Even open enrollment, which means kids who live in the city but are going to schools, public schools, in the suburbs or virtual schools statewide, that goes up every year and is projected to go up for next year. So, uh, you know, MPS as we think of it, that traditional system, is actually educating only just a notch above half of all the kids in the city, which is just a historic landscape change for education around here. Alan Borsick is with us. You alluded to this earlier, Alan, that a lot of this uh, balance and position is based on the expectation that positions will remain vacant as the district continues to struggle to recruit and keep staff. How big a factor is that? How big a deal is that, that the, the, the district continues to struggle to fill positions? I think it's a huge big deal. Um, I mean, money is not the biggest problem facing MPS. There's so many other things, including filling teaching jobs, keeping teachers, to be blunt, the quality of teachers, the lives students are leading, and the instability in their lives and how that impacts classrooms, overall academic. I could just go on with with a list of things. And money isn't the, the biggest one. The teaching vacancies... Uh, Frankly, I, I sometimes say MPS is, is a, a master of the use of Band-Aids and Scotch tape because that's what they have to do many days is uh, move teachers from one room to another, have administrators cover classes, substitutes, which they're also short of. They just manage, they have to keep their act together every day, and it isn't easy. So that vacancy thing, hilariously, um, I say that ironically, is a huge budget gain because they have tens of millions of dollars in expected savings from vacancies, but it also means jobs aren't being filled. So it's it's, it's a, not, not a good thing overall. Alan, when you hear that the budget for the next year is going to be a 19.9% decrease, my panic button goes, oh no, I bet we're losing music, art, those sorts of programs. Are those at risk of being cut in this upcoming school year? No, it actually calls for a somewhat of an increase. Well, again, the biggest problem is you can put down we want X number of music teachers, but we've got to find the people to do it. And in many cases, they've had music or art or gym teachers listed, but they haven't had people to fill those jobs. So um, in, the, in the referendum that passed in 2020, there was an intention to increase those subjects, also librarians, and uh, and then t- there has been some increase in that, but that's separate from all the federal aid. Like I said, the the 20% decline is almost all short-term federal money that everyone knew was going to go away. So I'm I'm not too focused on that. Uh, they they were smart enough not to make commitments that are continuing on that. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it, Alan. I mean, that's kind of one of my takeaways here. Despite the problems, they are managing what they got and what they will no longer get. Alan Borsick is a senior fellow at Marquette University Law School. Uh, are the women in those positions also called fellows? <laughs> I, 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 I imagine that's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one that has the title of senior fellow, and... And I can assure you, at at its face value, am I an old guy? That's absolutely true. That's a cool title. I want to be a senior fellow someday. Yeah, in in itself, it doesn't really mean too much, except that I try to be helpful. You You are. You can be jolly good, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) Alan, it's always good. I I, I try that, too. 
Thank you so much for spending some time with us, Alan. Glad to be here. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. All right, hope your Tuesday's going well. Coming up in just a few minutes, about five minutes or so, Major Garrett, CBS's Chief Washington Correspondent, will be with us. I love lists. And, uh, Greg, you found a list that's pretty interesting. Would you ever say that Wisconsin's fashion forward? Never. Okay. No. Not fashion forward, no. Which is okay. I I, I also would say that... like avant-garde, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, there's not a lot of risks being taken in Wisconsin overall, in general. Exactly. We're all proud of Mount Mary and the great fashion program there, and there are interesting things being done. But fashion forward, this is not the place... Now, I, I will say, John, the one time you wore that meat tuxedo to school. Yeah, did you uh, like to, that? To, well, I was interested. Was that okay? I didn't know why all the birds were following you around. It smelled kind of uh, weird. Started, dogs. Yeah. Started to I make sense. I was very sense. popular with the dog crowd. Uh, well, there is a, a study conducted by the fashion experts at Boohoo that examined the Google search <laughs> data, right? So they just hop into uh-huh. the Google search data. They figure it out. They figure out where people live. And they dialed in the most Googled fashion trends in the country and then each individual state. All right. So if you could think about the state of Wisconsin, what do you think might be in the top five? Leather pants. Okay. Oh, I thought, my. I, I want to hang out with John. I don't know where <laughs> you are. I was uh, thinking like heated jackets, like when you go to a Packers game and you just want to be warm. Okay. Shoulder pads. No. For women. There you go. I thought maybe later hosen. No, Ooh. that's not on there. So the number one most <laughs> searched Google fashion trend. In Wisconsin. Is cowboy boots. What? Which is also the top in the nation. In Wisconsin, though? Yes, yeah, so I just think about all the Cowboy country. The, the country music influence in the state, I think, is pretty strong. I yeah. spent a little time at the Morgan Wallen concert at American Family Field. Man, everybody is wearing cowboy boots. No, but even show. if you walked out in the market hall right now, I bet you you'd find less than 1% of the people wearing cowboy boots. But Wisconsin, think about Wisconsin State Fair, and I know that's an agricultural celebration, but you see a lot of people in cowboy boots there. They're simple. But the on, number one search yeah, that, that, fashion That term? certainly surprises me. Can you share with us what, what else is in the top five? What's right behind leather cowboy pants. boots? Right behind cowboy <laughs> boots is not leather pants. In fact, shockingly, it did not make it into the top five. Okay. Uh, loafers uh, is number two. <laughs> okay. Loafers. I just bought a new pair of loafers. I Googled loafers about a week ago. Okay. Now, I, I, don't, know if it, I don't know what it is, but I, I, I can't use the term loafers. I can use dress shoes. But I won't use the term loafers because it makes me think of the stuff my dad wore that had the little floppy tassels on it. Yes. yes. Which is yes. absolutely ridiculous. Uh, those oh, are I back, by the way. Tassels no, are back. Awful. Just no, terrible. I, I disagree. They're not. The well, pair I got just now doesn't have tassels, but I like the tassels. What, what do they do for you? It's decorative. Just give me laces. The classic was Bass Weegins, and you'd slip it. Was it a penny? A penny. Penny loafers. Yeah, penny loafers. All right, yeah. so that was a thing for a while. That was... Uh, I, Somehow that became a, a male and female fashion trend. Yeah. I, I would have thought Crocs would have been up there before loafers. I just got a new pair from Allen Edmonds, and they're, they're beautiful shoes. Oh, I'm sure they're beautiful. All right, what else is on I list? just don't get the tassels. I don't know what this is. Chelsea boots? I have no idea. What's a Ooh. Chelsea boot? I feel, like a, I feel like I should be representing. I'm yes. it's a shorter yes. boot. A shorter like an boot. ankle boot, I think. Okay, I, th- I okay. thought one or the other. Either a shorter boot or a longer boot. These are. Well, you really narrowed it down. Honestly, yeah. I think this is all. This is all men so far. It looks like a beetle boot. A beetle yes. boot. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's a, a yes. men's boot. Yeah. All right. All right. I, I would have said an Austin Powers boot. Sure. But, okay. Exactly. Same, Same thing. Uh, number four, graphic tees. Yeah. Which well, is a, a pretty, pretty broad category. One of my favorite graphic tees. Had the uh, Union Jack uh, uh. flag on it, and underneath it, it said Greece. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> that's that is funny. Okay. And number five is shackets. I feel like I, I know that term, but I can't picture that. What is a shacket? 
What is I'm a I'm looking that jacket? up too. Back to the ghoul. We're adding to the I fire. Know. Here. Is that like a shirt and a jacket combined? It's a shacket. Uh, maybe? I guess it looks like a yeah, it looks like a big flannel shirt that's also a jacket. Okay. okay. What is now that a sounds Wisconsin. It's a crossover yes. between a shirt and a jacket. Unlike cowboy boots, that sounds Wisconsin. This a is shacket. not what I expected at all. There are no blue jeans, there are no leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm feeling inadequate, stylish yeah. or not. Uh, bomber jacket's also a popular term used around the country. Yeah. And uh, top-end labels being searched. Gucci and Louis Vuitton still drive that category. Uh, but yes, cowboy boots, the top okay. searched fashion trend in the state of Wisconsin. Now you there know you go. what to get your mom for Mother's Day and your dad for Father's Day. Yeah. Shacket Com- and some loafers. <laughs> yeah, you got it. It's easy. Uh, he's always fashionable. Major Garrett, CBS's Chief Washington Correspondent, with us up next. Legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi. Major Garrett is CBS's Chief Washington Correspondent. He is the host and creator of the Takeout and Debrief podcast. His book is The Big Truth, and he is with us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Major. Good afternoon, John. How are you? Good. So the segment before you, we just went through the top Googled fashion terms in wisconsin these are what people in wisconsin want to know about the number one fashion thing that people are interested in is cowboy boots in wisconsin do you own a pair of cowboy boots i do not i did when i lived in amarillo texas when i was a cub (laughs) reporter my first job out of college was in amarillo texas uh and uh yes i was a joiner i mean look i grew up in san diego so (laughs) i didn't grow up with cowboy boots but when you're in Rome, you do as the Romans do. And Amarillo will never be confused with Rome. All due respect to Amarillo. <laughs> do you own a well, pair of Allen Edmond dress there. shoes, yeah. Major? Yeah. P- pardon me? Do you own a pair of Allen Edmond dress shoes? So I used to. Um, Allen Edmonds was my preferred choice of men's shoes all of my career. But as many, uh, let us say, seasoned uh, people do, I develop lower back issues. Yep. And my doctor said, change out your shoes. Go to orthotic shoes or, or, or shoes that have an orthotic dimension to them. And quite happily, I've lived long enough to wear orthotic shoes don't look like they did in the 60s, 70s, and yep. 80s. They can be quite stylish. And so I had to swap out all of my shoes. And every single pair of dress shoes I had that I swapped out, with an Allen Edmonds. Wow. They're, fan- they're fantastic shoes. Yeah. They were just not working for me because this is too much information. I have flat feet, and flat feet, as you get older and older, cause an increasing amount of lower back issues. And if you don't have arch support, you can't get through life. I couldn't get through my work life without them, so I had to switch them all out. Okay, so I'm an Allen Edmonds guy, Way too. more than you wanted to know. No, Way it's not. No, this no, is good information. And I also have very flat feet, so I don't want to give up the Allen Edmonds, so I have got custom orthotics that I put in my shoes because I want to mm-hmm. keep the Allen Edmonds. I don't want to wear slippers and Skechers. <laughs> and we want to support a Wisconsin company. <laughs> yes, it's a great Wisconsin company. Been phenomenal craftsmanship. Uh, as I said, I never bought a pair of dress shoes that were not Allen Edmonds mm. until I just That's good to hear. That's so good to hear. My flat-footed friends. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we're here for you. Hey, I wanted to ask you about the markets and something specific related to yeah. the markets. So I'm surprised the markets are only off 1%, but it is 1%. They recovered a little bit mm-hmm. at the end. And it's yeah. by and large because of the bank thing, and people seem nervous about the debt ceiling investors do. Right. When you think about the markets and the combination of the debt ceiling, the Fed decision, mm-hmm. and the other things going on, what's the most important thing you think about? 
So the, the Fed decision will loom very large. I mean, there is an expectation built into the markets of 25 basis points, meaning one quarter of 1%. But even with that, I was watching CNBC a lot today because the markets at one point were down almost 500 points. The Dow yeah. certainly was. And many people are saying, look, regional banks are under stress and uh, higher interest rates are going to exacerbate that stress for regional banks. And there's already concerns that regional banks are dealing with in terms of commercial lending, meaning for commercial real estate, commercial real estate buildings, not occupied by people who live there, but by businesses are stressed in urban centers all around the country. Why? Because people are not returning to work in the ways that they were there occupying those spaces pre-pandemic. And those loans are going to come due. And how those loans come due, whether they'll be paid back or not, is a very big concern for regional banks. And they don't need any more other concerns. They're concerned about a recessionary environment, an inflationary environment. They don't need more higher interest rates. And if interest rates keep going up, the stresses will continue. And then We'll have another regional bank that needs to be rescued or some intervention, which will cause what? More anxiety, which will cause what? More regional banks to be stressed. And you can see where this conversation goes. So I'm very much focused on the Federal Reserve. I can imagine a scenario where the Federal Reserve might take a pause and say we're taking a pause to let things settle in a little bit because the inflationary numbers have been less aggressive the last couple of months. The job market continues to look good. But that Fed decision is going to be super, super important and one that it's only the Fed's decision to make, but it will have many ramifications, not just economic, but quite obviously political. A major and another subject when we look at world politics, uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns, saying the United States wants to see China press Russia to end the war in Ukraine. But I found it really interesting that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was very vocal to a Russian reporter uh, saying, hey, I do not support what Russia has done to Ukraine. I support aid for Ukraine and and really got detailed to this reporter. What are your thoughts on does that elevate the tensions of this whole world situation by having somebody like Kevin McCarthy be that vocal? Well, I think what Kevin McCarthy is reflecting is a couple of things. One, he's feeling a little stronger in his role as speaker after successfully taking his rambunctious and small margin conference over the finish line to pass an increase of the debt ceiling. That got him into conversations with President Biden. What did President Biden announce yesterday? That he'll, he'll be willing to talk. This is what happens in legislative politics. You prove that you can pass something, then other powers have to pay attention to you. And until McCarthy could do that, the White House wasn't paying attention to him. So he feels emboldened, feels stronger. He understands his conference and the politics they're in. He also understands quite clearly now, and he was a little bit on the fence about this, what the stakes are in Ukraine. And he's also seeing China's interests. First, it was like, oh, China's all in with Russia. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. China may be more advantage for it long term to be the peacemaker there, not necessarily all in for Russia, but maybe a global peacemaker finding a way to encourage Putin to take an off ramp. Everyone in the global economy would be better off if there was no more hot war in Ukraine. And if you and if Russia were to back out of that some way, can China engineer all that? Not necessarily. But McCarthy now sees the stakes involved and that if Russia does take over Ukraine by hostile means, it's all bad for Europe. And probably this now is on the other side of the China question could embolden China and Taiwan. 
He's against that. So he's now speaking more aggressively on behalf of Ukraine than he did a couple of three months ago. I know that's a complicated answer, but there are a lot of different data points to sort of see where McCarthy is getting and why he might have gotten there. Hey, Major, we've got less than a minute, but I want to ask you quickly, this week, federal approval for a fallen journalist memorial right on the National Mall, and it will look at the Capitol, kind of as the watchdog that journalists are. This will look out onto the Capitol. How, How important is this? I'm on the board of that organization. I have been for several years, and I've lent my weight and reputation to whatever that may be worth uh, to this cause. You know, because I've been on this program for a very long time, and you know from the takeout that I believe in journalism. I believe in asking people questions. I believe in holding them accountable. I believe in all the things that are sometimes lesser appreciated about the hard work and the witnessing and the preparation and the visibility that journalism has. It's enduring value in a democracy. And for those who have fallen on behalf of that, to finally have a memorial to them, not only to the work that they do and those who are still living do, but what they risk to do it is overdue. And I'm very glad that it's getting ever closer to reality. Well, thank you for your work on that. Major Garrett is CBS's chief Washington correspondent. It's always our privilege to have you. Thank you, Major. Thank you, John.